Ted, another edition of Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland. Ken, I missed you last week. Uh, a lot of people missed me last week. Episode 73, we could talk about that. First and foremost, this episode podcast is dedicated to two wonderful people that wore 73 for the Cleveland Browns, Joe Thomas yep. and the ever-famous Doug Deacon. So hats okay. off to both of those gentlemen. Number 73. Offense, 10-yard penalty, <laughs> still third down. And Joe, I'm not talking about Joe Thomas. Yep. Well, once again, to our fan base, and I actually had a lot of people reach out to me last week, which obviously means a lot when, you know, certainly we've done consecutive weeks of this show, but you and I had a conversation, and basically life got in the way a little bit of our podcast. Um, yeah. Your business has been busy. I've kind of done some different things with work and that's kind of taken on some stuff. And then obviously you throw in the mix of personal stuff and sure. yeah, we just kind of ran out of time. So for all our audience out there, I think we're going to go a little bit different direction with the show. And Ted, do you want to announce what we're going to be doing here moving forward? <laughs> Hold on. Let me get a drum roll. Okay, there we go. Drum roll. We are going to continue the show Every other week. Yep. Every two weeks now. We're going to cut back a little bit. It'll make it easier for us to get you a show all the time. You'll know when we're going to be here. And maybe you won't be quite as annoyed with our jokes. I think that's, that's a possibility. You have a week to uh, recuperate, as they say. I think we should, you know, we could say we, uh, we had some personal problems. It should be all Hollywood. We had personal problems. We couldn't <laughs> do the show last week. We could do that. Or we could say... Ken and Ted really don't like each other. And there was yes. a big blow up. And, and as a result, they're not on, they, the only time they talk is on the podcast. And so because of that, they had to skip a week. Now, yeah. let's be honest. Part of that is somewhat true. How often do we have time to talk when we're not on the podcast recently? Not as much as we used yeah. to, let's be honest. But, but yeah, we, we can't, uh, there's no good, uh, we don't have any good, good uh dirty you know no i was gonna you know i was gonna go on this episode and basically give you the silent treatment and say nothing for 30 seconds oh this well, is what i think yeah nothing yeah so there you go but remember that theme nothing that might yes. play into something later okay so. all right well so every two weeks we will be here now since we missed a week we're going to tell you what's coming up on this week's show because we missed a week we have not one but two misspeaks of the week. Boom. There's a possibility one of them might not be from President Biden, but oh wow. I don't know that both of them won't be. Cleveland sports history. We remember a big win for the Indians 67 years ago. We have good news about the Cleveland Metro Parks and a woman in Maine who has been trapping lobsters for a long time. In Clops Clips, a lawyer gets cited for disorderly conduct. We'll tell you why. Our overachiever has a big green thumb. And in Cleveland Chronicles, we remember a downtown department store known for its 60-foot tall Christmas tree. All that, plus you can really buy this. And we'll get in the ring with Steve Muehlhausen from thezone.com to talk boxing and wrestling. 
time for where that come from. We look at a common phrase and explain its meaning. Today we look at it's raining cats and dogs. Oh, sure you see this multiple times. It means it's raining very hard. I okay. actually think I knew that. I think you did too. Yep. Now this idiom has two possible origin stories. The first explanation says that the phrase comes from Norse mythology. Wow. Mm where cats would symbolize heavy rains and dogs were associated with the god of storms, Odin. Odin? Uh, I, I don't have my glasses on. Man. Odin. Odin. Use oh, there it eye. is. Here's your good eye. <laughs> That's dirty. Hey, that to me, right? The second version says that in the 16th century, England, houses had thatched roofs, which were one of the few places where animals could get warm. Sometimes when it would rain heavily, roofs would get slippery and cats and dogs would slide off, making it look like it's raining cats and dogs. I did not think that had anything to do with a cat or a dog on a roof falling yeah. off. That is. My, before we close this segment, I have a quick story. Okay. My wife went camping with our oldest son for Cub Scouts this past weekend. Okay. Over During the night, she said, she heard an owl capture an animal, maybe kill the animal. I said, well, how do you know? She said, well, this is what she heard. She said it was like screaming. She heard, ah! Oh, wow. That's so, a National Geographic going on. Yeah. Nice. That's what you hear, apparently, when an owl, you get, you get the the scream of the of the, of the uh, animal and then, and then well, there you go. A little uh, extra there. Well, it's raining cats and dogs. Now we know where that came from. Ken, are you ready for the misspeak of the week? I'm ready. Let's roll. All right. We have two of them. And Sweet. at least one is not from President Biden. Wow. I'm actually shocked on that. Yeah. The first... Miss Speak of the Week goes to Paul Allen and Pete Bursich on the Minnesota Vikings radio network. Two Sundays ago, the Vikings trailed the Cardinals 34 to 33 with four seconds left. Greg Joseph lined up for a game-winning 37-yard field goal. Here is the call. High snap, put down. Joseph, come on! It is good! No, he missed it. Good. Are you kidding me? He missed it right. He missed it right. <laughs> oh, my heavens. Oh. Oh, my. This. He missed it right. It's oh. good. <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, it's not. I like how the guy says, come on. Yeah. Uh, no. Not to be outdone. Aren't, aren't you glad we have Jim Donovan and Doug Deacon yes. calling our games? My yes. Now, not to be outdone, has uh, formed a new military alliance with Britain and Australia to show advanced, to share, I should say, advanced technologies. And he did so at a press conference. We flanked by TVs showing the leaders of Britain and Australia. Thank you, Boris. And, and I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. Thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate it, Mr. Prime Minister. So uh, we know from down under. Yeah, we know one guy's name. We don't know the other. So we're just the fellow from down under. Get the man a cue card. Give him the names of who he's talking to. 
Well, that's I don't understand why they allow this to happen every time. Let's be clear. That fella down under is Australia's prime minister, Scott Morrison. You that should fella search down if you under. have a chance. That fella down okay. under and see what the Australian media thought of uh, President Biden's <clears throat> attempt at recalling their leader's name. I can imagine they were just absolutely thrilled. Pickled. Just thrilled. Yeah. Yep. Well, there you go. It's good. No, it's not. No, it's not. Oh, there's that fellow from down under. We got it all on the misspeaks of the week. Cleveland! This is for you! All right, another edition of This Week in Cleveland Sports, September 18th, 1954. This is a date I think many people remember. Cleveland Indians clinched the American League pennant, setting a record for the most regular season victories with 111. Unfortunately, they go on to lose the World Series to the New York Giants in a four-game sweep. We bring in our Cleveland sports historian, Dusty Sloan. And Dusty, this is certainly a team that many people have talked about for years. And most people know the date 1954 because that was certainly a a very important time for Cleveland baseball. But uh, what can you tell us about that team? And obviously, many people remember that they did get upset by the New York Giants in a four-game sweep. Absolutely. I mean, people talk about the 1948 Indians, and there was a lot of hope that the 54 Indians would do a very similar thing and win the World Series. Unfortunately, it didn't work that way. Very similar, the 1954 team to the 1995 team, in that it had such an amazing regular season but just couldn't finish it off in the World Series. And looking at this day, September 18th, when the Indians clinched the pennant, three to two win over the Tigers in Detroit. And again, all these names that you remember with the Indians, you've heard over the years, Larry Doby, Al Rosen, Vic Wirtz, Jim Hegan, early win was the starting pitcher and went six and two thirds that day. And it, it really was the gold standard along with that 48 team for those Cleveland Indians teams and then all of a sudden, as we all know, for the next 40 years, there was a lot, a lot of losing between 54 and 95. But, yeah, there's still a lot of reverence for the 1954 team, and there ought to be. Now, the 111 victories, the season was shorter back then. Uh, so that's even more impressive than 111 victories in a 162-game season. Uh, am I right on that, Dusty? Absolutely, because and, and that's where the, the parallel between 54 and 95 also comes into play, too, because remember in 95, we had the strike shortened season because they because they had a second spring training once the strike ended. So that team only played 144 games. So, yeah, the, those parallels between 54 and 95 really kind of stand out. And yes, they're, they aren't the 162 game seasons we're accustomed to now. One other thing to bring up about this, this season, obviously the big thing is obviously with the Indians losing the World Series to the Giants. Was that not the same time where Willie Mays made that unbelievable catch behind over his shoulder? Isn't that the one, isn't that the series that this came from, Dusty? I believe you are correct. Yes, the, uh, the infamous Willie Mays catch that, uh, and again, when you talk about the New York Giants, I mean, my goodness. You, you, it starts and ends with Willie Mays, right? I mean, yeah. you, you talk about one of the great players in the history of baseball. You you say Willie Mays and everybody's eyes light up, particularly in New York, particularly in San Francisco, where there's so much reverence for a guy like that. One of the 
great players who just stands the test of time. And when you're talking about a guy like Willie May is just in and of himself, it just made those New York Giants teams very difficult to beat. And of course, we're talking about parallels. Willie Mays plays for the New York Giants. And then, of course, Willie Mays Hayes winds up for the Cleveland Indians. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and Willie Mays Hayes made those types of catches, too, remember? Yeah, yeah. You know? He runs like Mays and he hits like uh, <clears throat> right. Hayes. Nice catch, Hayes. Don't do it again. So <laughs> great stuff. Well, Dusty, thanks for going back with us for a very great Cleveland Indians team from uh, September 18th, 1954. As many people know, a pennant setting record for the most regular season victories, unfortunately, fell to the World Series champs, the New York Giants in a four game sweep. Dusty, we appreciate your time. Have a great day, sir. As always. Thanks, guys. Cleveland, this is for you. Ted, more good news. Hmm. The Cleveland Metro Parks was awarded the 2021 National Gold Medal Best in Nation Award for Excellence in Parks and Recreation Management from the National Recreation and Park Association and the American Academy for Park and Recreation Administration. What an award. The award recognizes long-range planning, resource management, volunteerism, environmental stewardship, program development, professional development, and agency recognition. We got the gold in the nation for our parks how about that? That That's, is absolutely outstanding. Congratulations. Well, the Metro Parks, that, we, we have a great system here. In, We're in, very lucky. Ohio. So congratulations to them. That's awesome. We also have some good news out of Maine, Ken. Ooh. A woman there has been trapping lobsters for a while. She started at age eight. She was eight before World War II. Oh, wow. The traffic signal was a new invention then. The lobsters at that point in history fetched 28 cents a pound. Now it's 15 times that. Today, at 101 years old, whoa, Virginia Oliver is still trapping. She and her son work their traps in Rockland, Maine. Her son, Max, he's 78. Oh, he's a youngster. Yeah. Virginia says, I've done it all my life, so I might as well keep doing it. She had a little scare a couple of years ago when a crab snipped her fingers. She had to get some stitches. However, she never considered hanging up the lobster traps. God bless. That 101 years old, still going. Still going. And then bringing her young son of 78 yeah. around to help her. That's he's, great. He's the young one of the group, and he's 78. Yep. Oh, wow. Great wow. story. Well, there you go. Awesome stuff and definitely some good news. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. All right, Ken, news you probably haven't heard but should have. We start in Boston, where a house has sold for $1.25 million. The unique part here is that it is the so-called skinny house. The home was built in 1862. It's four stories and 10 feet wide at its widest point, 10 feet wide. It narrows <laughs> to about nine and a quarter feet wide in the back. Local lore says two brothers inherited the land. When one of them joined the army, the other built a large house that took up most of the land. When the soldier brother returned, he built a skinny house to block his brother's view and sunlight. 
So there. Seems like they're bickering like us. You yeah. Know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I'm so upset with you. I'm gonna build this house yeah. to block your view and sunlight. Boom. That's, darn it. An Oklahoma woman got more than she wanted when grabbing a bag of frozen pizza rolls at the grocery store. Shirley Wright Johnson says when she grabbed the bag, she discovered that someone had pooped in the freezer. Oh, come on. Ops oh. checked surveillance footage to identify a person of interest in the anonymous pooping. The person of interest was already being booked in jail on unrelated charges, so the poop probe continues wasn't there a story that you read about a guy from akron or in akron running around and doing kind of the same thing throughout oh, neighborhoods i, I remember that from a recall that yes i don't think it's him i'm not saying that's the reason no. i brought that up but yeah. this pro i'm just saying this could happen anywhere there it is always good when you can work poop into a into yep. a yeah yeah a Texas lawyer facing disorderly conduct charges after being caught walking on a beach dressed like Michael Myers from Halloween, <laughs> the Halloween movies. Oh I know this will come as a surprise. Police got a 911 call about a guy walking on the shore carrying a bloody knife. It wasn't until after cuffing the guy that the cops realized that the knife and the blood were fake. Attorney Mark Metzger III took to Facebook to provide an explanation saying, quote, bringing positive vibes to the gloom and doom out there, generating some laughter, helping people crack a smile and restoring our faith in humanity through humor is 100% what I'm about. Okay. I think that's, that's commendable. And I think the best way to do it is to dress up like a serial killer. That's and the, spot yep. And make sure you're hammered. Right. Uh, now, he claimed a few people asked him for a photo, and the Beach Patrol <clears throat> played the Halloween movie music when they saw him. <laughs> he, told a local, he told a local TV station, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling Karens. Oh, my gosh. I wonder yeah. how long you think about something like that if you're going to do that. Okay, I'm going to dress up like Michael Myers, and so maybe just to have enough confidence to do it he had to drink heavily i would think there so there we go a high school in boston was forced to think outside the box for transportation to a field trip due to the ongoing national school bus driver shortage the originally chartered bus fell through just days before the event so the school hired a party bus okay the bus included neon lights and <clears throat> stripper poles <laughs> English teacher Jim Mayers commented on Twitter, quote, when you promise hundreds of kids a fun day with their advisors, you make it happen, he wrote. He noted that the kids had a great field trip and didn't really care about the bus. He also shared one conversation he had with a student. Quote, Mr. Mayers, one student asked, is that a real stripper pole? <laughs> yes, he replied. Huh, the student said, I've never seen one before. Mr. Meyer's response, me neither. Wow, that was a little bit more of a field trip than the kids thought they would get. That's uh, really a interesting. Reply from the teacher. What? Outstanding. Perfect that's, response. That's something that you would answer. That would be something that you would say. Never seen that before. Yeah, me neither. Boy.
I'm All thinking right. of those those years when I'm t having kids and buses, the different jobs I've had. I can't say that I've requested a party bus with a stripper pole. <laughs> I mean, you got to, I guess if there's a shortage, you, you just have to make do. That's it. There it is. Well, we make do. We have no neon lights here and no poles, but we will close up this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. Ken, time for another overachiever here now. It's not you. Sorry. Okay. Yep. But a British gardener is this week's overachiever. The gardener harvested 839 tomatoes from a single stem. Wow. Douglas Smith says he was careful to follow Guinness rules when growing and harvesting his tomatoes. Evidence from the attempt is being submitted for official recognition. If it becomes official, it would nearly double the previous record of 448 tomatoes from a single stem. Oh, wow. Boy, that's a that's going to be a heck of a salad. That is. And I guess you're going to be tired from picking all those tomatoes. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. Impressive, though. Nice job. Well, he may need some time to catch up oh. on his sleep. <clears throat> that oh. is another overachiever. Said another edition of You Can Really Buy This. Mm -hmm. Today's gift, I said gift, can be found on a site that rhymes with oxymoron. There you go. Okay. Now I found the gift that I'm going to be getting you for the holidays. Oh. I'm already planning for Christmas. I know there's going to be a shortage of trucks delivering and all that. So I want to make sure I got this in place. I've already purchased it. It is the gift you get someone who has everything. <laughs> and it is called the gift of nothing. That's right. The gift of nothing. Gift of nothing. So for $3.87, okay. you can receive the gift of absolutely nothing. Okay. Made by Creative Gift Company. So okay. for the person who has everything, nothing is better, nothing is certain, and nothing is perfect. This is the ultimate in minimal minimalism. Less is more or less. Open the package, but be aware, nothing will happen. So you receive a clear package where it says you received nothing. And it's just... Nothing. Nothing. It's, it's a small box that's clear and there's nothing in it. It's nothing. So you get I think it's outstanding. You get a box for four bucks. Four bucks. Well, you got to pay for shipping too. That's oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So, so we're up to eight bucks. Okay. Now, allow nothing to flow through your mind and you can calm your soul. Enjoy the sensations. You too can discover that nothing really is better than something. Think about that. Nothing. Oh, nothing. What do you see? Nothing. Nothing. Now, I know the, the part that you're going to want to know about, I know you want reviews. Yeah. <laughs> I know you want reviews. I know oh, this oh. is the part you've been oh. waiting for. I, so, I can't wait. Here we go. This There's only two, only but two. they're both really good. Okay. So Cody gave this a one-star review. One star. 
There are like eight spelling errors on this thing. You can't even spell nothing right. You've spelled it as noting, N-O-T-I-N-G. I will be making my own cardstock to put in and use the bulb and words, but surely correctly. Anyone buying this could buy an empty Christmas ornament instead of this. What a piece of crap. That's okay. the first review. Not, not a good one from Cody. No, not a good start. Uh, this person stayed anonymous. Oh. GIF was cute, but there were a few misspellings on which it was slightly annoying after paying money for basically nothing. <laughs> I will be throwing this away. So, there you go. Nothing, which people thought would be something. Yeah. Then goes to nothing again when you throw nothing in the trap. I want you to think about that. N-O-T-H-I-N-G. I-N-G, which they spelled incorrectly at N-O-T-I-N-G. Well, I have one thing to say about that. You know what I have? Nothing. You can really buy it. Time for another This Week in Cleveland History, September 21st, 1968. The Sterling Linder or Sterling Linder Davis department store, depending on what era you're familiar with that department store from. Uh, and it was at Euclid and East 13th. Uh, it finally closed its, or closed its doors for the final time on that date, famous for its 60-foot Christmas tree display during the Christmas holiday season. And that was a little bit before my time and your time, Ken, but we're joined by John Grabowski, Cleveland historian, who I'm sure can provide a little perspective. Obviously, John, being a little bit younger than that time, Ken and I are more familiar with Halley's, Higby's, May Company. So tell us about Sterling Davis or Sterling, Sterling Linder Davis and where did it, how did it fit into these other department stores? Oh, it's, it's interesting because it actually dates back to... Uh... 1845, uh, where, you know, Thomas William Beckwith started a dry goods store in Cleveland. And, uh, and then that eventually a guy named uh, Frederick Sterling and George Welsh joined that company and it became known as Sterling and Welsh. Uh, and in 1909, it had been down on Lower Woodland Avenue and it moved out to 112.15 Euclid Avenue. So it had gone into that area that was just being developed around Playhouse Square mm-hmm. and the department stores there. And then you had another uh, store that was set up. There was a W.B. Davis company. It was a pioneer menswear company in Cleveland. And that was established in 1879. And then it merged with the Lindner Company, which was started by Morris Black and, uh, and a man named Max Hellman and Max Lindner. And that was in April 1908. And it merged then with uh, Davis. It eventually merged with Davis. So he had Lindner and Davis and Sterling and Welsh, which would eventually merge together as Sterling Linder Davis. The name changes over time, but when you're talking about shopping downtown, uh, once you got east east of East 9th Street and you shopped, that's where you got into the tonier stores. As a matter of fact, the first Higby's used to be out in that area before it was lured back to the square for that structure that was built as part of the terminal group. So that was upscale shopping. If you went further down the street, you were at Halley's, which is one of the premier stories, uh, stores in the city. So it, it was it was a memory. 
And I think older Clevelanders will remember, depends on how much money you had as to where you were going to shop. <laughs> so you, you know, you could go to the Bing Furniture Store at, uh, store at uh, Prospect and uh, uh, 4th Street, or you, you could go to the May Company basement for good deals and double eagle stamps. Uh, you know, steps up from May Companies, there was a, a William J. Taylor store on, on uh, Prospect Avenue at one time. So we're looking at a time when shopping was was done downtown, and that's before the suburbs grew, the malls grew, and the automobile grew, and and of course long before the internet and Amazon.com or anything <laughs> else. So, uh, but these were stores that that really were were sold by their decor, their decoration, and the way they displayed things. That Christmas tree was magnificent, and. And if you want to see some of the ornaments, uh, almost every Christmas season at the Western Reserve Historical Society, we haul out a couple of these huge Sterling Linder uh, ball, balls that, that hung on the tree. So it, yeah, it, it, is, it, is, it is a shopping memory that is pretty much being forgotten right now. Hmm. John, the question I have, do you, it's a two-part question. One, with Sterling Linder, obviously, you know, doing some research and things like, do you have an idea why it closed the doors? Do you have any idea why, why it didn't make it? Yeah, it was purchased by a New York company called Allied. Uh, I think it was Allied Stores Corporation. And in 1960s, they were looking at the fact that they, they were just not making a profit on it. Hmm. And so, that, so they closed it down. And if we look at Playhouse Square, that's the same era in which all the great movie houses are being closed there. Yeah, and, you know, it's a point where the city is not only moving to suburbs, changing its shopping patterns, but, you know, it's losing population. Now, the 60 foot Christmas tree, as you guys were talking about a little bit, was that one of the first obvious department stores or anything in Cleveland that had anything like that? Were they kind of the fire starters when it came to that or were there other stores doing the same? You know, I really don't know, Ken. Uh, I, I do know that uh, what well, we can get into the whole story of Christmas trees in Cleveland. There was one at Zion. Evangelical Lutheran Church, uh, pre-Civil War, the Germans put it up, and the Protestant establishment said there were pagans graveling before a shrub. So, <laughs> and, and eventually there would be a Christmas tree on Public Square. <laughs> so you, 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 you have to, I, I'm, I'm sure there were, there were holiday uh, decor in there. You know, I'm not old enough to remember that, but one does remember the incredible animated displays in Higby's window and everything else that were there. And you, you lose that when you go to a mall because you're not, you, you walk into the mall, you don't walk around the outside. You can only see the interior window displays. So that was, that was, that was the sugar to invite you in those incredible store windows that were all around there. And, and when you got inside Sterling Linder, you had this huge Christmas tree, unbelievable. Well, they had they had a huge Christmas tree, but they didn't have Mister Jingling. There's... No, no, no. That was down the street and the yep. other, it was down the street and to the south. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I guess it was kind of a Christmas tree competition or Christmas display competition back in those days in uh, downtown Cleveland amongst the department stores. But some interesting perspective on a department store that uh, maybe uh, bowed out a little bit before the, uh, the others did, but nonetheless uh, has an interesting heritage in Cleveland. And John, we thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. Time to get in the ring with our favorite in-ring person, Steve Muehlhausen from DAZN. Steve, we usually go right into talking about wrestling. We're gonna change it up today. 
And this is how long it's been since we had the opportunity to talk to you. Right? Back on August 29th, you were in Cleveland for the weekend for the Jake Paul fight. So certainly wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that and just your experience here in Cleveland. First, I want to apologize. In fact, we did not meet up. That is, there was a, they had us running around like chickens without a head. It was absurd of all the media, which don't get me wrong. I was there for a reason, but I'm like, when do we get time to like have some fun? You're working, man. You're on the company dime. You got to work. But you know what, though? I will give this. I didn't know what to expect in Cleveland. I had a hell of a time. there. It's definitely top five favorite trips just because I'm all about the hospitality. This is me. I want to go somewhere. I want to feel the love. I want to feel a little special. I'm coming to your town. I'm going to spend a little money. Sure. But like everyone was just from the hotel staff. I stayed at the Hilton Garden Inn, which was right by uh, Progressive Field. Yep. And great hotel. Went to a couple different restaurants. Places were nice. Progressive Field, gentlemen, better than I expected. It doesn't give a good vibe off. Watching on TV, you're like, yeah, this, and I'm, I'm going to be, I know you got, I'm going to get killed for this, but I always thought it was kind of a dub. Not going to lie. But I'm like, I went, I'm like, the great people at Showtime, they put some uh, some of us in the media in a suite for the, they played the Red Sox that Friday night. Yeah. And beautiful ballpark. It was fan- I even bought some Indian swag, guys. Mm, really? I should have. I'm going to wear it next week. I got a beautiful okay. Indian shirt. I bought my son uh, an Indian shirt. And he's worn it a couple times already. I got my son the little the T-ball bat with the ball and everything. Oh, the nice. team the ball. So got the whole nine yards, man. Well, here's what I know. The Indians ballpark doesn't have upper deck seats that go straight up like um, <clears throat> Comiskey Park. I mean, you, you go you go into oh, the wow. Comiskey Park. And you wow. might as well just keep right. Just goes. It's like you're climbing a ladder. I think, isn't it? But we're climbing the ladder. Oh wait, we already won the division. Oh, title. Okay. oh here we go. Okay. We, we climbed the ladder to the top of the division, and yes. we are the 2021 AL Central Division champions. And I will have gear. You know what? I'm gonna have a hat for you next week, and I'll wear my Indian shirt just to oh, rub boy. it in your guys' face. I love it. I All right, talking smack. But I will admit, Progressive Field was awesome. Food was fantastic. The field field was beautiful. And I will say, fireworks show, top notch. Yeah, they do a good job at that. Yeah. Yes. It was better than the better than um, and I said this to I was saying this, I was texting my wife while it was going on. Better than guaranteed rate field here in Chicago. I'm not gonna lie. It was fantastic, but everything was great until the fight. Yeah. There's some rude people in that arena. I gotta say, the Q, there's security pretty awful right that security hey, was again cross off calves we won't have anybody on from the arena on this show between steve so, and me we're <laughs> horrible so the start like you know the media we're there to cover a fight yeah we're there to cover in the evening the extravagance <sighs> And you got these buffoon, and I know people are, and it was full. They sold it out, over 16,000. Cleveland showed out for Jake Paul. Okay. But they're standing in front of us. We can't see. It was hard. Some of the fights, it was hard. I put it on Twitter. I had the arena DM me on Twitter. 
they're like, you know, we were so sorry, da 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 da. I'm like, we're they're like, you know, we'll be right by the media road. I'm thinking, yeah, right, you're gonna come in like an hour. They came within 20 minutes. Oh wow. Had that cleared out. Well, there you go. So power of the pen. Power, power of the pen. You got it done, Steve. Just so you could see. Just so you could do was, your job. I just want to do my job. But security was for a while for the first three-fourths of the evening was pretty crappy. Okay. But when it mattered, when Jake Paul was getting ready to get in the ring, sights were good. But no, the, the whole week was a good time. It really was. You know, you could feel the anticipation. The crowd booed the hometown boy, which I was pretty surprised by. Yeah. And But, you know, the whole production, I thought the aesthetics were very good. Showtime did a really good job. I thought the promotion was good. I thought Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley did a great job promoting the fight. There was a brawl that was literally right next to me at the press conference on Thursday. That was a great way to introduce yep. myself to Cleveland, Ohio. It <laughs> literally right, literally right next to me. Hey, but you know what though? It did like four million views on social media. That little minute video I posted. So I'll, I'll take love. But it was fun. The fight was the fight was better than what I thought it was going to be. But no, I say overall experience. I can't wait to come back to Cleveland because I. Oh man. I know Jake Paul wants to fight there. He, st- he wants to fight there more. So I imagine the next time I get to Cleveland, Ohio, we will get together and hopefully they don't have us running around like a bunch of crazy people. But it was a ton of fun. No, great fight. Great experience. Okay. I know Ted's going to ask a question very soon here on wrestling. I, I have one right. last question about Jake Paul. So Dana White oh. made some interesting comments not too long ago about Jake Paul and, and all that. And, you know, talking about who he's been fighting and all that stuff. What's the next route for Jake Paul? Who's next in the mix for him to fight? It seems like it's going to be Tyson Fury's half-brother, Tommy Fury. And okay. Tommy Fury, not the same. Look at it this way. The guys Jake Paul's face and the guys Tommy Fury face, and I have no problem saying this, Jake Paul's fault the better opposition. So I feel like right now they're probably they're at about the same level. I, that's how I feel about it. That fight would make a lot of money. Tommy Fury's really big in the UK. I know that fight did really well in the UK. It did really well here in the United States. So probably going to be right now aiming towards the second biggest pay-per-view overall of the oh, for boxing overall in the year. Third biggest in 2021, if you're including the UFC. So I think that fight here, I think we do it because Tommy Fury got a massive reaction when he came out. Cleveland knew who he was. They knew yeah. who he was very quickly. Got a great reaction. Jake's a big name. Jake's one of the biggest stars in the sport. I think that fight's going to happen. I wouldn't be shocked if it happened in Cleveland. I know Jake wants to fight in December. So, so we'll see. But I think that is the fight to make next. I know there's been some offers. Tommy Fury hasn't been overly thrilled, which I'm surprised by because he's never made a million dollars in his life for a single fight. So, But I get the side of, this fight's going to generate massive revenue. I want my cut. I get it. It's all, it's all negotiation. But I think when it comes down to it, they'll, all parties will find a number. This fight will happen, whether it's in December or not, remains to be seen. I think more likely January, maybe February. But I think end of this year, beginning of quarter one in 2022. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess you'll be back in Cleveland pretty soon here, apparently. I'm hoping so. Yeah. As long as it's not snowing and I 
I'll put it this way, though. Your plane flights to Cleveland are ridiculous, and I drove. That drive's not bad. Not a bad no, drive it's not Cleveland. awful. I've done it many a times. It's not that bad. No. But that, but the airfares, I, I couldn't justify to the zone paying $300 for airfare for an hour and 10-minute flight. That was kind of <laughs> yeah, crazy. That was a little absurd. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, thanks. Not a, I won't do that ever. All right. Let's move to wrestling. And since last we spoke, there have been a few changes here. Uh, a lot of folks didn't think that AEW were going to land both CM Punk and Brian Danielson. Not only did they bring in CM Punk and Brian Danielson, but they also brought in Adam Cole directly hey, on WWE TV. I hated cutting you off there. But I hated to say baby. What? As, when you said Adam Cole, I had to say Bay Bay. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, 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 gotta yeah. Gotta say, gotta say that, Ted. Adam Cole, Bay Bay. So, uh, what, you know, this is, I would think, uh, a huge coup for AEW. They get the hottest free agent, a former WWE world champion, and a guy who was on their TV, uh, WWE's TV, like what? A week, two weeks before, yeah. I mean, that's that's a trifecta that uh, anybody would want. It's a good time to be all elite wrestling, you know. And remember, just I remember when we got to that week, and I'm like, man, I cannot wait until this week is over, just because it's it was covering the Pacquiao SummerSlam, going to Cleveland for Jake Paul. And I'm like, I can't. I want this week to be over. <laughs> and when I got, you know, but at the end of the day, I had so much fun. And when you're, you're watching that all go down, you see, you're thinking you're going to see Danielson, but then you see Adam call first and you're like, wait, what? And I'm like, every, the crowd's going nuts. I'm like, all right. Cause I knew Danielson was supposed to be there. We had talked about it. I'm like, Okay, I'm like, well, maybe they're gonna wait, which would have been cool. But then he came out three like three minutes later, and the crowd just like completely lost their mind. So <laughs> a very, a very, very, very cool time. Really, really is. And it was a great reaction to all the guys. The way the stories have been told so far for for both guys have been fantastic. If you're an AEW fan. Man, it's been a heck of a ride so far. And if you're just all about the WWE, which is perfectly fine, man, they're in a little bit of trouble, I would say. All right. Now, uh, NXT, there's some, been some shift, shuffling there. And there's speculation that it's a result of AD, AEW's success. So this is a, a couple different questions all in one here. From what you're hearing, is that the case? Triple H seems to have been removed or, or lost some of his power in NXT. Maybe you could clarify that. And then they rebooted NXT or made it NXT 2.0. Is this, is this all reaction to AEW's success? What can you tell us? 100% correct. Wow. All, they got their butts handed on. They only won like one week. 
You know Vince doesn't handle losing very well. But I don't blame him. I don't I, I've never met anyone that's a great loser. So I think um but in that essence, that's why they did it. You know, my a lot of people are skeptical of NXT 2.0. And I remember I was talking to Tommaso Ciampa last week about it, and he the, the points he made really made sense. And you know, it seems like they're yeah, they're going with the youth movement, which is fine. But it's about which guys are going to push. But you're also now doing it in front of a worldwide national audience, a worldwide audience. And you got a network that's paying you $35 million a year. And I bet USA's not happy. Oh, now you're going this route. So I think that's why you're still seeing the Champas and the Garganos and the Pete Duns. You're still going to get a mixture of those guys in. But that Braun Breaker, I'm all in. The name, horrible. But take all that away. If you look at the person, I think that's the right move. He's, I think he can. Be, he's going to be really special. Not a fan of the reboot, but what they've done so far, they have me intrigued. They have a lot of people intrigued, but it's not how you start. It's how you finish, and it's how you continue. They know what's going on. WWE knows AEW's there, and that's why you're seeing. Well, unless you watched the end of Extreme Rules last night, very good show until the end, and that <laughs> ending was a little. Ending was very typical 1990s WWE buffoonery. <laughs> and, if, and if people want to wonder why we're, there's more interest in AEW, not just from wrestling fans, but also national media right now, this what, what you saw at the end of the show last night is why. And why Vince McMahon decided to pivot with NXT and kind of more or less reduce the power, without officially saying it, reducing the power of one Paul Levesque and but we're gonna see what happens. You know, it is that thing. It is a mar- it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Well, it seems like WWE is reacting a lot more to AEW to more than what than what AEW is reacting. They're not reacting. They're just kind of just going, staying the course, doing their thing. And you look at tonight. They promoted during Extreme Rules last night, kicking off tonight's Raw. Big E and Bobby Lashley for the WWE Championship. Wow. You know they're hopping off Kenny Omega and Brian Daniels. Trying to say, hey, AEW did it. It worked out for them. We're going to go do it too. Not stealing. They're not trying. I, I get it. That's that's just smart. I'm totally cool with that. But you see, they know the game. They know what's going on. They know what people are interested in. They're trying everything. They're giving away. And the thing AEW did, they didn't make that a title match. WWE's making this a title match to kick things off. So you can tell when Vince is panicking and he knows – He's getting nudged. He's getting, people are coming at him. He reacts. It's not always right, but he reacts. And this is another reaction to what AEW is doing by having Big E cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase on Raw. Bringing back Brock Lesnar. Bringing back Becky Lynch a month early. You know, having this title match tonight. All reactionary moves where AEW is just staring the course. They're doing their thing and they're not worried about anything. The WWE is doing. Number two should be worried about number one and trying to do the move, trying to be making those moves. Number one shouldn't be making all the reactionary moves to number two. That's how I've always viewed things. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I, I concur. When you've done something for such a long time and had success, all of a sudden you start looking behind you and worried about what all your competition's doing and then starting to steal their, some of their ideas and do some of the things they're doing. 
unfortunately, people are going to figure that out real quick. And I think that's what's happened. And their ratings are going down. I mean, what, for their last event, AEW had, what, over 22,000 people in attendance, which is one of the biggest attendance they've had for a live show, which I think is bigger than what, you know, certainly some of the shows that WWE has had and the talent that they have and all that. And I'll be honest with you guys. You guys follow wrestling much more than I do. I follow it from afar. I watch as much as I can, but you guys follow it much more closely. I'm more in tune with what's going on and no more people in AEW than I do in WWE. You're not the first one one that said that. I know I got plenty of friends that don't even watch WWE and they will just watch AEW. You're like, I couldn't even tell you 10 guys over there. I can turn on AEW and I know... I can learn in a couple of minutes who I know who a lot of some of the guy big guys are, but then I'm learning other guys and it's much more enjoyable. Yeah. It's much more sure. of an easy watch. And it, it, like I'm watching this pay-per-view last night. If I, this wasn't my job, I would have been like, I had a chance. This card was, it was just okay. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the the show ended up being really good. And the main, until the main event and the main event was good until the last like five minutes where it was like, what the hell am I watching? This is pretty stupid. Yeah. And that's just what separates the companies right now. One has their finger on the pulse or the, and the other one's lagging far behind. And it's the company that has a 50 plus year head start. Yeah. And that should not be the case. And that's just a matter of A, knowing your audience and B, the person running the ship for the company that's been out for two years is willing to listen to the talent, listen to other ideas from other executives where you got one guy who's, and this isn't a knock on old people. I I have no problem with people being 75, 76 years old. That's part of life, but they shouldn't be running multi-billion dollar companies who don't have a clue of what's going on in society. And what people, and when people are in tune with, that's just, it's such a major problem. And he's, and he's so stubborn he doesn't want to listen to others. When you're not willing to evolve and see what's going on in front of you and around you, it's the old adage, listen to the fans. At the end of the day, yeah. the fans are going to tell you everything you want to know. Ratings, fans, the demos, the numbers, the people, they're always going to tell you. And yeah. when you're not willing to adapt, AEW's nipping. And they're charging, not just nipping, they're now charging fast. And that's a train that's not going to stop. I'm telling you guys that. No. Well, I think the changes for WWE will happen when they lose out on a lot of cash. Because you know this, Steve. Cash is involved. And when, when people aren't making their money like they're supposed to, drastic things happen. I, I do eventually think that's going to happen with WWE. With AEW taking over, taking away some of their shares of ratings, taking away a lot of their, uh, you know, people that they've had for a long time that have followed them and they don't do it anymore. I think that's, what's going to make the change. If you ask me, I really do. That's what's going to make the change. So we'll see. Now you have one thing. Go ahead, Ted. Steve. I also wanted to ask you one other thing that has to go uh, hand in hand with uh, these reactions to AEW's success. From what I have read, Brock Lesnar's return was reactionary to some extent uh, to AEW signing CM Punk. Can you talk about that? And also SummerSlam, I know you were there. Talk about that event. And I was surprised WWE had a very small um, 
staging setup, if you even want to call it a stage, unlike their other big stadium shows and even arena shows. So uh, what's going on with Brock Lesnar and what's going on with the, uh, the production here? Well, Brock Lesnar, that is 100% correct. He was – it was really looking like he was going to be coming back the beginning of next year. It, it was either going to be beginning of next year or it was, it was going to be later on in 2022. And it was purely a reactionary move. They came up to him – it's about three weeks, right at the beginning of August. They had come up to him and they started talking really heavily. They had been talking casually. Now what fans back were like, and they knowing that Punk was going to be coming and when he was going to be coming, they wanted, like we were talking about before, reactionary moves. And this was another one. And when we saw, I ended up seeing Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. He'll be making, he'll be returning to the ring on October 21st. Um, but negotiations went very quick. I've been told eight to 12 matches. The contract runs out after... The WrestleMania in 2023, which is scheduled to be in Los Angeles. So anywhere from eight to 12 matches between starting at SummerSlam through, I think it's WrestleMania 40. If I'm, my my math is, yeah, WrestleMania 40. WrestleMania 40 out in uh, Los Angeles, California. Oh, interesting. Okay. Steve, my question is to talk about, obviously, Another wrestler that's been around for a long time. I know he asked for his release from the WWE, and I thought there was a thought process of him going to AEW. I'm talking about Ric Flair, but there's been some other information that's come out now with an episode that was on Vice about this plane ride, and it's all of a sudden now people are jumping away, and then I heard WWE took away some of their his likenesses from WWE and things like that. What can you tell us about that? What is going on with Ric Flair? This is a shame. I'm just going to be honest. This is. Did you guys watch the episode? The, the Vice Dark Side of the Ring? I have not I'm in the process of watching it. a lot about it. Give it a watch. Give it a watch. Um, those guys did a great job. Very, very good job. Um, Evan Husney and. Uh, oh, I forget the other guy's name. Evan Husney and I forget Jason something. I forget, forget his last name off the top of my head. But they did a fan. And I talked to them. I'm actually going to air that podcast this week. They Jason did a fantastic. Herbie. No, not Jason. No, Jason's something. I'm losing my. Now, now I'm thinking about the Wonder Years. Thanks a lot. I'm thinking about Kevin Arnold. Thanks a lot. Tom <laughs> Savage. Thanks a lot, Ted. But, um, you know, now I can't get my mind up there. But Ric Flair, we knew some of the stories, but, you know, watching the documentary and seeing just the anguish and the pain in that woman, Heidi Doyle. By the way, it's Jason Eisner. Jason Eisner. You see uh, Heidi Doyle and you look at her face and you're going to see the anguish and the pain in her face and her eyes. And it's like, she went through an experience. She definitely doesn't, she wants to forget. And still to this day is still horrified by it. And that's absolutely horrific. That's absolutely terrible. And that's awful. And I don't blame WWE. I would have done the same thing. I don't blame, you know, the New York, New York City Comic Con. Mm-hmm. I don't blame them either. 
You know, I'm shocked Car Shield went right back. They put a pause on it, and then they're airing Ric Flair commercials again. And I'm, that was pretty disappointing. And you know, you you don't force yourself on anybody that doesn't want to be that doesn't want to be touched. I just man or woman. And I said it to some people. I think Ric Flair is a scumbag. Mm. You know, I I you know I've lost. All the respect I had for Ric Flair, he's gone. Yeah. Okay. You know, it, there's no, there's no other really other way around it. You know, when he's trying to defend himself, and I get it, he's he's got to defend himself. He's he's st- he's poised to lose a lot of money. And I know, him and, AE, him and AEW had been talking, and I don't know if there was pen put to paper. I've asked, no mm-hmm. one, they will not respond on that. All I was told was. When I asked him, because he was set to debut on the Dynamite last week in New York. Huh. Obviously, he wasn't on the show. Um, but that was the running plan from what I had been told. Now, I don't know if he's still going to come in. No one's – AEW has been very – which I don't blame him. Very coy about what – I can't see Tony Khan bringing him in. I just can't. You know, Tony Khan's a, he's, yes, he's a wrestling fan, but he's also a very smart businessman. And I think he understands, and this is what we were talking about, finger on the pulse situation. I don't think he's going to go anywhere near this for now. I think he's going to tell Rick, hey, let's see what happens. Let's die it down. I think he's going to talk to Rick. I think he's going to ask Rick, hey, what the, or if he hasn't already, what the hell happened? Yeah. Tell me what happened. All right. So we'll see. But right now, I, right now, it's a hard situation. It's a delicate situation, but I don't feel bad for Rick Flair in any way, shape, or form. Understand that. Yep. All right. Well, let's quickly hit a wrestling rewind. It was, I've been missing. It was September 22nd, 1984. Steve, I, I'm going to doubt that Say you know the date one more. Say the date one more time. I heard 1984. I, the first September part 22nd, 1984. It's not a date that people would necessarily know, but when I tell you why it's important, you will smile right away. That's the date three. that Bobby the Brain Heenan debuted with the WWF. Now he was originally brought in to manage Jesse Ventura, who unfortunately had to go into semi-retirement because of some blood clots. But as we know, Bobby, the brain Heenan found a way to be a pretty good manager uh, during his run in the WWE, well, WWF for the entire entirety of his run. uh, As far as I'm concerned, greatest manager, greatest color commentator to ever Stand at ringside or put on a headset. Your thoughts, Steve? Oh, my God. Greatest manager of all time. It's not even close. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, not the, even lines, close. Not even the close. lines he would come up with on commentary, just too numerous to mention, but uh, he's a highlight reel. If you haven't, do yourself a favor and watch the Bobby the Brain Heenan um uh, the, 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 well, it was a DVD. I'm guessing it's on the network somewhere. I don't know that you'd be able to find it given the navigation, but uh, the Bobby the Brain Heenan DVD that they put out was tremendous. So, uh, no, he is definitely greatest manager of all time. 
arguably the greatest color commentator of all time. It's either him or Jerry Lawler. I know yeah. it, it, that's just all on preference. I prefer Bobby Heenan, and, but I know some people, and I, but I also have no problem with people saying Jerry Lawler. I would have no, and I would be, I'd be more than happy. I would side with people on that too. If they, if the argument is strong enough, but no, one of the, one of the best, you know, I always remember too, if you guys remember this, when he came out with Andre for WrestleMania three in the main event with Hogan and that suit, mm. oh my God, yes, that boss. suit was phenomenal. Tails. He had yeah. tails on. It was awesome. No, but hey. just one of, like you said, Teddy, it was quick witted. He had a very, a very, very sharp mind. Definitely a one of a kind. And I, the closest thing to him that we'll ever see again in this day of age is Paul Heyman, just in terms of managers and et cetera. But, but I don't think we'll see – I don't think we'll ever see anyone like that ever again. Ken, do you think CM Punk gets a lot of fan mail in AEW? Uh, probably just a bit, yeah. Yeah, just well, he'd get a lot more, but his wife ran out of stamps. <laughs> we'll leave it on that note, Steve. Thank you very much for getting in the ring with us. Uh, you can follow Steve on Facebook, Twitter, read him at the zone, D-A-Z-N. And uh, Steve, <laughs> this is, <laughs> there you go. We're out of the ring. <laughs>
So. Oh, you know what else we're going to try to talk about next week? Something, something interesting that might appear on Twitter. So, uh, a fantasy football bet. We'll, we'll oh, more okay. Interesting. We might have that, correct? That's a possibility, yes. Okay. Yeah, so we'll have more details on that. But you and I are in a fantasy league with several other folks, and from time to time there's some uh, friendly wagering. And so yes. uh, we'll see We'll see what we can come up with to uh, talk about that on uh, the show uh, in a couple yeah, of we weeks. We don't have to talk about our teams, right? I mean, no, I, no. I mean, my – I'm going to be 0-3 here pretty soon. So I'm uh, doing okay so far. I know. That's why you're the champ. Well, we'll see what happens. So two weeks, fantasy football. Two weeks from today, we will be back with more nonsense. And we'll have a medium with us. <laughs> and two larges. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> more like a small over here. Yeah. Well, I wish it was. So oh, well, all right. I'm large Marge right now. I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm just packing it on, getting ready for the winter, kind of like the squirrels. So that's what I'm doing. Ted, with that, have a great week, two weeks, and obviously look forward to not talking to you for the next two weeks until we do the podcast. That'll be great. And when we do talk, it'll be about nothing. Just remember that. And we're also two middle-aged men included. Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And by Westminster AV. Custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.